Welcome back to another edition of Final Call here on Radio Massasoit, episode 28. As always, Andrew Fantuccio alongside me, Ben Mamaritas, and the man with the easiest name in the Zoom, Jason Snow. Guys, how we doing? We're back. We are back. Happy to be here. <laughs> so, how do you guys feel about Rob Manfred threatening to shut down the uh, Major League season right now? Is it a threat? Absolutely. Is it, you know, logistically going to happen? I'm not sure. But, you know, it, it, it's going to make these teams kind of, you know, follow up on these protocols better. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's kind of a bad look, if I'm going to be honest, for the MLB. Because you look at the NBA, zero positive cases. The NFL isn't really there yet. The NHL has been looking okay in its restart. And then you have the MLB, which is, I mean, two teams right now are are basically shutting shutting everything down. So it's, you know, I think it's a bad look for the MLB just because I think they kind of rushed into it. I think it'd be a lot easier if there was a bubble in um, that's been implemented. But I don't know. We're going to see how they bounce back from this. Well, you know, with the Marlins and the Cardinals, uh, both teams have, you know, close to 20 confirmed cases of COVID-19 amongst their, uh, among their players and coaching staffs. You know, and it's a situation that's awful. It really is. No, you don't wish that upon anybody. But I, I think this uh, Manfred's threat's a little premature at this point. Yeah, it's two teams, a lot of cases among them, but there's, there's so much at stake for this Major League season. I think it might be the most important season that Major League Baseball will ever have, just considering what's on, on the line for its public image. You know, after all the arguments and fighting with the owners and players and the struggle of trying to get back, I think there's too much on the line to cancel it right now. Yeah, there might be. Um, but now in terms of, you know, you look at the Marlins, they've played three games. And, you know, we're talk- we were talking about the Red Sox pre- uh, pre-show. They've played 10. So, you know, they'll have to play a lot of back-to-backs in order to catch up. I know there was a little talk of, you know, going to a potential winning percentage model in terms of like shaping out the playoff bracket. Baseball is just going to make it up as they go. And, you know, will the Cardinals and Marlins be the only two teams struck by COVID-19? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm going to guess by the end of this thing, they're going to probably, like if we play all the way through October like they're planning, they're probably going to be like eight to ten teams that are struck as bad as those teams are. So, you know, going to a model like that where, you know, the discrepancy of played games is so wide, it'll be tough to, you know, figure out a playoff bracket where it really works for everyone. Yeah, you're right, Jason. This season was kind of put together. It reminds me of that time when I was in fifth grade and I had a history project that I forgot to do till the last day. And I threw it together <laughs> with like string, some duct tape, some couple of glue sticks and as much glitter as I could find at 1130 at night. And that's what we got here. They're, they're putting together as they go. They don't, they're not looking for a passing grade. They're just trying to, they're not looking for any. They're just trying to survive at this point put out some type of product, show that the sport's not dead. And that's what they're doing here. And I don't think it really matters even who wins the World Series this year. It doesn't matter whether it's about wins or losses or or uh, winning percentage or however you shape the playoffs at this point. It doesn't matter. It's about baseball surviving. And the protocol that was put in place by the league and by the players was put there so that they can withstand something like this as insurance. Yeah, it's awful. It's two teams, but it's only two teams. Of course, there's going to be more teams that come up that have this. But they can kind of control that. If the players start being more accountable, more responsible for their own health and taking more accountability for their own actions, I think that we won't start to, we'll start to see uh, less and less cases among the league. Uh, I want to read you guys this quote 
from uh, Marlins CEO Derek Jeter, which sounds weird to say because I never think of him as anything else but a Yankee. I know. That's so weird. But he said, quote, guys were around each other. Well, this was in reference to you know, how things might have happened with the Marlins. Quote, guys were around each other. They got relaxed and they let their guard down, Jeter said. They were getting together in groups. They weren't wearing masks as much as they could, as much as they could have, and they weren't social distancing. And again, that was Marlins CEO Derek Jeter in an article posted on ESPN.com. So I think that kind of confirms my thought and theory that a lot of this lies on the players. Of course, the league can do, you know, has has some responsibility in this. But I think at this point, now that we're in the middle of the season, now that players are traveling, it's on them to uphold and be more responsible with these protocols. What do you guys think? Well, let's make it clear. Another part of that Jeter quote, I read it too, was there's no salacious activity, meaning they weren't just running around. They weren't going to like clubs. They weren't going to restaurants. They weren't, you know, going around all these cities. They were just, you know, COVID kind of came to them by way of going to a teammate's house for, for dinner, for, you know, not wearing a mask out when traveling. So, you know, they have to shape that thing up. But just to be clear, there was no, maybe that's just Derek Jeter covering his team's butt. But from what, from what he said, there was no kind of reckless behavior in a way that, oh, you should really know better. Well, don't you think that just not wearing a mask is reckless? We all know how important masks Whoa. are. It's been proven, you know, social distancing, all, all the basics that can really affect whether or not you you contract COVID-19. The, the Marlins weren't doing that. The Cardinals were even like, yeah, the Marlins might not have been doing anything, you know, that bad or, you know, as, as dumb. But there were reports that the Cardinals players were going to casinos, and that's how they got it. So either way, players got to be more accountable, whether it's just something as small as wearing a mask or something huge like going to a crowded casino. Players got to start taking this more seriously. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I do kind of think that Derek Jeter is kind of trying to cover his tracks a little bit. I don't think the Miami Marlins are going out there and going to strip clubs like Lou Williams or going out to casinos or whatever. I don't think that. But I do think, you know, not wearing a mask is reckless. Traveling in groups of people, not social distancing, that's reckless. So, I mean, we will probably never really know what they were doing. But the, the thing that we do know is that they have COVID. COVID has broken out in the Marlins organization. How it happened doesn't really matter to me. It's the fact that it, that it happened. So, again... I mean, I know that it's kind of beating a dead horse comparing it to the other leagues, but like the other leagues right now are are miles ahead in terms of their precautions and everything. And with the Marlins, your entire team is infected. So now, I mean, what do they do if they have to play another team? Baseball needs to figure it out. That, that's just the bottom line. I don't know if it's too late. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if Manfred's, "Quote unquote premature." I think he's. I think it's right on the uh, right on the button right now. And it should be noted: seventeen games postponed in ten days. All right, so that that's that's kind of a trend, you know, going in the in the wrong direction. And that's we're huge. in August now. Yeah, we're, it's August fourth right now. If they want to be playing baseball in October like they usually are, and not kind of stretch the season into late November, they're going to have to get you know a handle on this quick. And they're going <laughs> to so. Will they, you know, make enough progress in the coming days, potentially in the next week? I don't know. I, I don't have much confidence, but, you know, like you said, Ben, if we if we're, we're going in a bit, uh, NFL season right now and, you know, time's running out. It's a race against the clock. And will MLB 
you know, make it to a point where the season is salvageable. And every team, like they said in the ESPN article, that, you know, every team's supposed to play 60, but if they don't, every team ideally is supposed to play around 57. Will that, you know, discrepancy among games played reach a level where it's kind of like even? I'm not sure. It remains to be seen. But as of right now, there's a big discrepancy in games played amongst the teams. I don't really think all that matters because, again, like th- this season was just kind of thrown together as just a way of like, hey, we got something here. You know what I mean? I don't think the players are really taking it that seriously. I know fans for sure aren't. Owners aren't. Like, no one, I don't think owners are taking it very seriously. I, I just think personally, it's just getting a product out there. And it's if just to survive, to endure what, you know, and not add on to the embarrassment that MLB has already given them, has already put on themselves with the labor negotiations, with the Astros cheating. Uh, baseball's in a tough spot right now. I just think at this point, just Go out there, try your best. Whether you got your best players out there or you got you know a bunch of double A guys, you have a season, and that's all anyone can really ask for in a time like this. I think to your point, Andrew, this is a very important season. You know, I, I think they do want to get a good product out there because, like you just said, I mean they're coming off of the worst scandal possibly in league history. You want to put a good product out there. The fans want to see good baseball. You know, the teams want to play good baseball and. In a situation like this, it's just getting increasingly more difficult every every day, pretty much. I mean, it's just every day there's a new thing with COVID or there's, you know, something else. It's And, you know, for baseball, it's, you know, it's the effects of this season will be long-lasting and also last season as well. So I don't think it's really going to be back to normal until we're back to 162 games and back to the normal schedule. Yeah, Andrew, I'm, by and large, I agree with what you said. I just, I, not, I have a problem with, you know, saying that the players aren't taking it seriously, the fans aren't taking it seriously, the owners aren't taking it seriously, just because, like, ratings are higher than they've ever been, so fans are taking it seriously. Owners are making money off these advertisers. They're, they're taking it seriously. Baseball players, they've said a zillion times, I want to play. They're taking it seriously. And, you know, to go back to the COVID spread, this is kind of where they're at right now in terms of COVID. Like, would we really, like, in, in comparison to the other leagues, which I know Ben said is like beating a dead horse at this point, in terms of the NBA, would we be shocked if COVID into their league at this point because they haven't had any positive tests? Would we, would we be shocked if, you know, another team in MLB contracted the virus in, in a large capacity? No. I think we, at this point we kind of expect it, and honestly, I think it's inevitable. So I think that's kind of where, they're, that's where the barometer's at. They just look across the other leagues and say, you know, you're farther along than we are. So when I said that I don't think fans are taking it seriously, I think that the fact that, you know, ratings are so high is kind of, kind of proves my point. Because if this was a normal season, mm-hmm. I know that that's a kind of a contradictory statement, but I think if this is a normal season and COVID-19 never hit, would there be like this interest in baseball? No, I think people, there's high interest in baseball right now because we just haven't had it and there hasn't been any sports. But as the NFL picks up, as the NBA starts to enter its playoffs, the NHL is already back. Baseball is gonna it's gonna dwindle. I think right now baseball still has the spikes because of all the scandal with it. Uh, the Astros and Joe Kelly helped a little bit, but right now, I mean, still like how much are like people are watching it? But are they invested? Are is there anyone really saying like, you know, when if, if this season comes down to the Detroit Tigers and, I don't know, the Pittsburgh Pirates in the World Series for some reason or another, which I think is entirely possible. Is anyone really going to care? 
You could say that about any league, though. If if the Pistons yeah. made it to the finals and they, you know, oh, if, I I I if disagree. The with you made it to the NBA finals. Would we really care? No, because they have Isaac Bonga starting at forward. You want LeBron no, but- James starting. People would care though because it's not the Lakers. It's not because we, we we've seen what the what these top teams in the NBA are. We've seen what the top teams in the NHL are. Time was invested. Time was spent. There there was a season. Baseball never got off the ground. They're jamming this together as fast as they can, but you know, barely any effort put towards it. I feel like it's just sort of you know, just get it out there, put on a product just for the sake of putting on a product product just so that we can say we did it. But the 2020 season is, is always going to have is like, well, that was 2020. Who really? It, it, I don't really think baseball really matters right now. It's all what matters is just making sure that the league survives. Yeah, I see both your points. I understand where you're coming from, Andrew, because, um, you know, baseball didn't really get off the ground. Like with with hockey and the NBA, they had their season. They had their season end right in the middle. You know what I mean? And baseball was still in spring training, so it never really got off the ground. So this is kind of like, it's a season. It's just a very, very short, very different season. And with the NBA, they had a normal season. It's just now the ending of the season and the playoffs are going to be drastically different. That's that's the only difference to me anyway. So I think I understand uh, both your points, though, because like, if the if the Pistons made it to the finals in the NBA, no one's watching. Okay, let's just be honest. And uh, same thing with your example, Andrew. If the Detroit Tigers and the Pirates in the World Series, who gives a rip? It's 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 a moot point. So I want I want to change my take because I I can see how it kind of missed it missed the mark. What I'm saying is, people would care if the wouldn't care if the Tigers and Pirates made it because there was never any time invested into the season. But if for some reason the NBA Finals come down to the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards, people would be a little upset because they missed out on seeing uh, Lakers-Bucks or Raptors-Lakers, Raptors-Clippers. I mean, there was, there's nothing at stake for baseball. That's a good is what point. I'm saying. There was, just, there, there's, there was nothing ever invested. That's what I'm saying. But people would care about basketball if the Pistons or a, a you know, crappy team made the Finals. People would care. Because time and effort and energy was spent into the season. I got you. Yeah, I mean, there wouldn't be... I think, you know, if, like you said, the Tigers-Pirates made it to the World Series, that we'd still be, like, at least I would, because I like baseball probably more than a lot of people out there. I would just be like, you know, we missed them. We we missed on Yankees-Dodgers. I I really wanted... You know, there, there would be like kind of not resentment necessarily, but we'd be like, oh, that was a missed opportunity. You know, two, the two biggest brands in baseball weren't, didn't make it to them. You know what I mean? So I see, what you're, I see what you're saying, and I agree with you. And I, I like baseball just as much as you. I know you, know, you and I, you and I talk baseball a lot, but in just, it's just in reality. It, it, not, I'm not, I'm as invested in this season as I, as I would have been if this was a full 162. And I know that that might make me sort of a, I don't want to say a fair weather fan, but. When there's so little time and effort put into it, I mean, I don't want to invest that much time in it. It's just something I have to kind of throw on. There's no good basketball or hockey. Uh, so coming up next here on the final call, we'll give you our thoughts on how NFL free agents, there's still a lot of them out there, a lot of really good ones with training camp getting underway right now. We'll give you our thoughts next here on the final call.
So, guys, NFL training camp is getting underway as we speak. Teams reported earlier this week. Um, but there are a lot of big-name free agents still out in the market. Guys like uh, former first overall pick Jadavian Clowney, uh, former pro bowlers are still available. Uh, why do you think that so many uh, free agents are still available right now? Well, for the top guys, at least the price tag's too high, or at least it was in months past. I know Jadavian Clowney was kind of set on $18 million. He's not going to get anywhere near that. But he was kind of waiting for the, the market to you know, come his way like it did for Cam Newton. It never happened. So, you know, I think that's the major part of it right now. But as COVID, you know, makes its way through the NFL, I kind of expect them to get signed sooner than later. Yeah, I definitely expect, uh, I think with COVID, that just kind of ruined everyone's plans in terms of the timing of everything. Um, yeah, I agree with everything Jason just said. The, the price tag is definitely high, but I think with COVID, teams are going to kind of We'll see how they do because, like, like we said, we thought Cam Newton was going to get the Brinks trucks, but, I mean, he went to New England. New England doesn't pay anyone. so and Teams have a month left until, you know, the season really starts going. So if they're really desperate, they might look to, you know, the free agent market to make their ends meet. And I think it's worth noting that the deadline for opting out of the season is uh, this Thursday. Yeah. So that's what, the, the sixth? Yes. Maybe. Yeah. So let's get into that, by the way, because there, there have been some players who are pretty upset about the NFL moving around that uh, the uh, deadline to opt out. What do you think about that? How, is, how do you think the players are handling it? How do the NFL is handling this whole uh, COVID situation right now? I think they're, they're doing the best they can. Um, I think making the deadline so early, that might be an issue. Just because, I mean, I know we're a month away, but... The deadline passes. Let's say the deadline passes, and the next week someone comes down with COVID. It's like, okay, now what are you going to do? You can't opt out. So I think I think the deadline should be moved up to like a week before the season starts, just because it's so with this virus, it's so uncertain, and there's no way to predict everything. So I just think you want to err on the side of caution with this one. Yeah, I, I see that. Um... But I think, you know, if a player were to contract COVID in the middle of the season, they would just put him on IR and just go from there. I don't think they'd be like, oh, you're punished, get out on the field, you know. So, you know, honestly, I was kind of on the same wavelength as you, Ben, in terms of, you know, wait another week. But to be honest, you should have, like, if you're a player, you probably should have thought out this decision a couple of weeks ago. And you probably should have kind of made your mind up a little week, uh, a little while ago. So, you know, you know, teams really have to start looking at their team needs, looking at, you know, what's their weaknesses and, you know, monitoring those opt-outs in a way that, you know, the Patriots have eight opt-outs at this point. And I, I don't think those were, you know, spur-of-the-moment things. I think they were planned out in a way that, you know, the Patriots could, you know, bounce back from those losses. Um, but, yeah, teams going to, you know, they need to fill up the, their holes. That's a good point. Um, I think that with – you're right – they should have been thinking about this for the past few weeks. And I think, you know, the players with young kids, mm-hmm. um, the players with relatives who have health problems, these all play into factors of their decisions. So I think, I think that that's going to be a hurdle to jump over, but I don't know. For me, I just think the, I just think the, the deadline just needs to move, be moved up 
like a tad. Like maybe not, maybe not like a week before the season. I don't know. I just don't like how it's so far out from the the start of the season. That's all. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with giving players more time. Yeah, that, that's that's the only gripe I have with it. Yeah. No, I, I don't blame the players at all for being upset. Uh, we've heard multiple guys, you know, speak out saying like, why, why do they keep shifting the deadline around? And it's probably because, you know, I don't think the NFL expected as many players to opt out that have, uh, I think they're trying to make it harder to rush the decision. So that way, you know, players, like, I think players kind of want to get in the facility, see how it looks, see if they feel safe and they feel comfortable enough being there. Then they will choose whether or not to opt out. But I think the NFL is kind of pushing this up so that they don't really have the time to make that decision. And, you know, we, with Major League Baseball, we've seen two players opt out in the middle of the season now. Uh, I wonder, you know, uh, Lorenzo Cain of the Brewers and then Yoan Assessment has just disappeared on the Mets. But I wonder, you know, what happens if an NFL player does that? Because th- this is a hard deadline, it sounds like. What happens if, you know, a player decides in, like, week three, like, okay, you know what, like, half my team's contract COVID already. I'm out of here. What, what happens to them? Like, are they, are they going to face some sort of penalty, sort of fine? Are they going to be kind of relegated like Le'Veon Bell was for a year and a half after just kind of abandoning the Steelers? Let me take you back to, I think it was last season. Who was the Buffalo Bills player who just retired mid-game? You read my mind. Not Vernon Davis, but his brother. Um, Bonte. Yes. Yes. By the way, hilarious. That was like the funniest thing. Now, I don't know. With COVID, the NFL loves giving out fines. So I think that's tough. If you're going to if you're going to opt out for COVID, my recommendation is to not do it in the middle of a game or like right before kickoff. That's just that's that's the only thing I think cuz I feel like the league is going to have some some restrictions, some uh, you know, some mandates in order that like, okay, you can't you can opt out but you need to do it in a certain manner or you know fines are applicable and i don't think they're going to be handing out like you know crazy $50,000 fines it's not going to be anything expensive like that it's going to be small fines like cuz again i think the league is going to prioritize safety over anything uh, yeah. i li- i like to think that ben but this is the nfl we're talking about here this this is the league that tries to sweep concussions and ct under the rug for uh 5 years this is this is true, but I think this is a new this is a new era of of the NFL because I mean I think about it since then I think that they've taken leaps and bounds to make the game safer in terms of concussions. I mean, yeah, players are still getting hit in the head, but the penalties are higher. You see less of I mean I don't know if you see less of it, but less frequency. I think like the players who are who are eligible to or are more likely to get injured, like a Rob Gronkowski they're going to get concussions. Okay. But I think in terms of uh, making the league safer, I think the league has taken huge steps to make it safer. And by the way, this should be noted. I throughout this whole time, uh, the NFL has kind of been sitting back and sitting pretty and being like, well, it's not our turn on the clock. You guys, you know, throw stuff against the wall and see what works. We'll, uh, we'll waiting. We'll see you in eight months. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. now, now it's kind of their turn now it's time to see where were they actually paying attention were they it's like that kid that was like that didn't read the book the night before it was due and now it's time for his turn to like present in front of the class so <laughs> <laughs> so you know let's see you know how much they comprehended from the nfl and the and mlb's losses um, and their struggles trying to get things going it is a bold move traveling 
to games. And, you know, even with baseball staying in cities for multiple days, that's still a risk. So I think that's something to, to monitor going forward. And especially for the Patriots, so a team that I've, you know, paid attention, you know, closely to, two West Coast trips. So, you know, if they yes. keep this, this schedule intact, you know, how will it affect it? And, you know, COVID's not going to, you know, not going to discriminate. So we'll see how much they learned and paid attention. So with all the changes to procedure and training camp and the, you know, the amount of player opt-outs that we've seen, do you think we're going to begin to see more free agents start to sign in the near future? I hope so. I really do because I hope that this doesn't hinder the, the process of everything, which inevitably it will. I mean, let's just be honest. It's COVID, unpredictable. We don't really know what to expect. But, you know, teams that need free agents are going to sign them. And it's just based on, you know, how much they're willing to pay. And, you know, like we saw, we saw Cam Newton get picked up, even though, you know, that was about a month or two ago. But I don't think it's done. I think as the league gets closer and closer to the startup of the season, you're going to see some guys getting deals. But we'll see. You know, I, I don't think that we're going to see them. Uh, I think all these free agents are so, bar, are so far behind in terms of everyone else for not being signed by now, and that's not their fault or anything. But it's just a fact. No off-season programs, uh, not being able to work out in front of teams, and now with limited roster capacity, there isn't really much room left for remaining free agents. You know, unless you're like the Patriots who have lost eight guys by now, there isn't a team that's had more than two players opt out. And these teams kind of have the depth with practice squads. And I think they're going to want to to take the cheaper option uh, this season, especially considering that we're not going to have uh, the full capacity of fans and TV rights and everything as we normally do. Yeah, I, I get that. I think it really depends on what happens between now and Thursday. You know, if, if we see a team kind of like the Patriots that goes like scorched earth on us, and the, I, the Patriots right now are the team to circle with your red pen and say, what do they do from here? Because, um, you know, eight players, they're really thin at a lot of positions. Before the season, I was like, yeah, they're, they're really good personnel. are already thin as it is. And then minus eight players, you know, that's not going to serve them well. So they're the team, players too. Right. <laughs> so, so they're the team to, like, keep an eye on. But ultimately, if you're a team that, you know, loses a lot of your – especially defensive personnel, getting a Clowney and Everson Griffin, maybe a Logan Ryan and Eric Reed might kind of benefit you going forward. So speaking of who we think should be signed, uh, who's the first free agent that you would sign right now if you're an NFL team with opt-outs? Um, I'm going to go with the obvious one, Jadavian Clowney. Come on. I mean, number one overall pick back in, I forget what year, but coming out of USC, 27 years of age. Okay, very young. You mean University of South Carolina? I said USC, <laughs> didn't I? Yeah, but that's University of South I, I know like same initials, but I feel like everyone's going to like think – University oh no! When I, when I say Game USC, talks, no, no. When I say USC, I think California. I don't think whatever. Anyway, whatever. My mojo, Andrew. You're messing with the mojo, man. All right, Cusco, calm down. <laughs> but anyway, 27 years of age. He's in the prime of his career. The guy's just a the guy's just a complete game wrecker. I mean, he's a guy on the on the defensive line who you just got a game plan for. He's he's fast. He's physical. He's strong. He just completely, you know, ruins your game plan. And he, he lives in the backfield. And I think you got to have a guy like that, you know, to win games. And I think Seattle, Seattle got a lot out of him. Let's, let's not mistake this. I think he was a big part of that defense. But if they let him walk, I think 
teams are teams are going to scoop him up inevitably. He's just that kind of player. You know, I, I get the want to immediately jump at Clowney. He is the biggest name out on the market right now. He was one of the biggest free agents to hit the market when free agency first started. But he kind of had a down year last year, and especially coming after, you know, not being able to work out, not being in front of teams. I question really, like, how, what's he really going to look like? He's still Jadavian Clowney. I get that, but I don't know. Just give him only having three sacks on a really good defense last year, a really good team. I wonder, you know, I, he wouldn't be the first guy. The first guy I would sign is, I, I think, someone who's incredibly uh, underrated, and that's Logan Ryan, cornerback. Uh, he's not the first guy that you think of when you think of a great pass defenders, but he had an excellent season last year with the Titans. I mean, I just want to compare him to Stefan Gilmore and Tredavious White, the two best corners in football, in my opinion. Uh, White and Gilmore both had six interceptions last year to lead the league, and uh, Ryan had four. Uh, in terms of pass defended, Ryan, uh, in terms of pass defended, Gilmore had 20, Logan Ryan had 18, White had 17. So he's right, he's comparable with both those guys. And he's also an outstanding. Uh, Ryan's also an, an outstanding tackler, which you don't see with a lot of defensive backs. I'm surprised that after the year he had last season, uh, that the Titans didn't resign him. And I'm kind of astonished that no other team has jumped at the chance to sign him yet either. Yeah, that's a good one, Andrew. Kind of an unsung hero in the free agent market. I'm I'm going to go a different route. And I, I saw your Logan Ryan, and I raise you. How about an Eric Reed? For you know, it depends on team need, but. If I need a safety and a you know an increased pass rush, I'm going to go with Eric Reed. He, career high in um, solo tackles at 97, tied a career high in hits, uh, four sacks last year. He can he's not very good in coverage because he gave up a lot of touchdowns. But ultimately, if you need a pass rush and kind of like a hybrid, like a Jamal Adams kind of prototype, he can kind of play anywhere for you. He can play in the box. He can play kind of in that deep role. But ultimately, he's going to he's going to stop the run. He's going to get the quarterback. And ultimately, if you your team needs that, he's kind of the guy to look at. So I like your pick there. I still would take Ryan, Logan Ryan, but I like Eric Reed, and I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Patriots, especially after they just lost Patrick Chung. You know, yes. like you said, uh, Eric Reed's not the best in coverage, but when you have Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, uh, and Devin McCourty out, out there, you kind of you're not really losing anything by having Eric Reed, who can fill in the box, and especially after losing guys like Hightower uh, to opting out. Pat Chung opting out, and they also lost a ton of guys just in free agency. Jamie Collins is gone, Kyle Van Noy is gone, uh, Landon Roberts is gone, Jamie, you know, uh, Danny Shelton. They lost a lot of guys in that front yep. seven. And I know Eric Reed's a safety, but like you said, he's more of an in the box type type of player. Safety so blitz kind of guy. He'd be a perfect fit for this Patriots team, especially a guy. Yeah, he'd be per- he'd be a perfect fit for them. I I love the pick, but I'm still taking Logan Ryan first just because he he had such a good year last year. So, coming up next here on the final call, Jason has a hot take on the Houston Rockets. I'll give it to you next on the final call. Jason Snow, apparently you have an interesting take in regards to the Houston Rockets. Let's hear it. Yeah, you know, they played well. They're 2-0 in the bubble. You know, I, I was kind of hard on them going into the season. You know, Westbrook hard and how it's going to work. I, I doubted them. I said it wasn't going to. But I don't know up to it. They're, they're, they're working. And I, I, I 
I'm impressed with them. I had doubts of them, you know, going so hard in the scrimmages, you know, isn't that going to tire them out? Isn't that kind of the, the book on both of them? But, you know, it's, it's working out for them. I'm, I'm proud of them. <laughs> Sound like a dad. You know what? I, nobody can see me right now, but I'm holding up a mic like I'm on the sidelines. So I'm going back to Massazoit basketball days. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Rockets looking good so far. And you know what? They're good. They're a really good team. They're, you know, a top five team to me right now. I couldn't agree more because you know why? The Rockets still have some of the most highest pressure to win the title this year, and I think they know it. So let's just go over the, the – you guys watched the Bucks rockets game. I watched the Bucks rockets game. Very good game. Highly competitive all the way down to the end. To me, the Rockets are one of the most unique teams, you know, in NBA history. Now, I know that Mike D'Antoni always pushes offense, offense, offense. I mean, let's take a look at these stats. 61 threes taken in a game, in regulation. That's unheard of. And they only shot 34%. They only made 21 of them. That in itself will keep them in any game. If you're shooting threes at that high a clip, you're going you're gonna to keep yourself in games. And, you know, like Harden didn't exactly explode either. Harden only had 24 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. But he had six steals, and he had some great defensive stops against Giannis, who, you know, Giannis publicly said, oh, we're going to go at Harden defensively, you know, kind of calling him out. Harden took that challenge. He took that challenge in full stride, and he proved that he can defend. He can defend the best players in the league. And, you know, Westbrook, we always, we always kind of bang on Westbrook on this show from time to time. How about 31 points? And Westbrook only took three threes. Now, I've always been the guy who's like, Westbrook, do not shoot threes because you're incredibly inconsistent. You can never find your rhythm out there. What does he do? He takes it to the basket, mid-range shots, plays in the flow of the offense. This is the kind of Rockets basketball that I expected and wanted to see. And I just I, I cannot give them more praise. I mean, they completely impressed me. I thought the Bucks were going to win this game. They really impressed me. And, you know... I still think they're going to be a legitimate contender in the West. I think, you know, they're going to give the Lakers and the Clippers a run for their money. And if they're putting up that many threes in the game, they also, crazy stat, the Bucks had 65 rebounds to the Rockets' 36. Are you kidding me? And they lost the game. Where do you ever see anything like this? This is, this is just unheard of. The Rockets beat you with the three. Now, the only problem with this, you live by the three, you die by the three. So there's going to be a night where they don't shoot a high percentage. I know it's only 34% from the field, but like, hello, they shot it 60 times. I could not be more impressed, but we'll see how it goes in the near future. That has been 60 minutes with Ben. Maybe read it now. <laughs> <laughs> so rant over. Love it. The Rockets have played well in their first two games in the bubble. Two hard-fought victories. The one against the Mavericks was an absolute shootout, which we knew the Rockets were capable of winning. And the game against the Bucks, that was more of a defensive win. It really was. They, they, were, they played some really good defense down the stretch in that game, especially in the, in the final minutes. Uh, they've gotten themselves up to the number four seed in the West. Mathematically, they have a shot at the two seed if things bounce their way. But I think you guys are being a little... Oh, you're getting a little ahead of yourselves here with this team because what do we always know about the Rockets? What is always the downfall with James Harden? What's always the downfall 
with Russell Westbrook. They collapse. They run themselves into the ground. They get fatigued. And, you know, I'm really surprised, by the way, Mike D'Antoni has been coaching this team right now and how he's been using his, his, uh, his rotation because the Rockets aren't really utilizing their bench at all. They're not. If you go back and look at the minutes, you know, Westbrook and Harden are both playing 35-plus. They're only using about three guys off the bench anyways. So I don't know. I think that might come back to bite them in the uh, to bite them a little bit. Uh, what do you think about how D'Antoni's coaching this team right now? Uh, the the smaller lineup. How do they stack up against the rest of the West? Can they sustain this type of uh, this type of success going forward? Andrew, I'd, I'd normally be on your wavelengths, but I disagree. I think they can sustain this, and here's why: When are James Harden and Russell Westbrook at their best? Typically, at the beginning of seasons after a long off-season, after a long rest. Russell Westbrook has 10 Player of the Month awards, right? You might say, oh, that doesn't mean much. Seven of them come before February, meaning early in seasons when he's at his freshest. Harden has nine. Also, he has seven pre-February. Games matter in March, April, May, right? That's when they collapse. They've been rested. I think that they can honestly hold on for another 20 games. James Harden and Russell Westbrook have great regular seasons through like 50, 60 games. After that, they kind of collapse, right? Now, they've played two, and they're fresh. So I, I think they, I, they can sustain it, I think. Will their style sustain? I think if you shoot as much, enough threes, you'll be able to hit some of them. Like if you shoot 64 threes, you'll be able to hit you know, 20 of them and keep you in the games. Portland showed that the other night against the Celtics. Three after three after three after three. Dug exactly. themselves out of a 24-point deficit. So, you know, they're a lethal team offensively. They're, they're there. Rebounding isn't as important in today's game as it was in, like, the 90s and then early 2000s. So I think they will be able to overcome that. Are they still a championship-capable team? Yes, but I think it'd have to be a long shot. Um, but ultimately, I, I think they're, their style is sustainable to get them into the playoffs, into, you know, those later stages of the series, just because how early they are in the, in the bubble. So I, I don't really know if, if this style, this small ball lineup can really work going forward because, yeah, if there's any coach who can make it work, it's Mike D'Antoni. He's been one of the most innovative coaches, you know, an offensive, gift, uh, offensively gifted-minded coaches there is. But, you know, look at the rest of the teams in the West. A lot of them have really good big men. Some of the, you know, all, you know, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year candidates. I, I, unless, like, Tyson Chandler is going to revert to what he was nine years ago, there's no one on that on the Rockets who can defend an Anthony Davis. There's no one who can defend a Rudy Gobert or Nikola Jokic, Kristaps Porzingis, or even Zion. They don't have that big guy down low. If they keep doing, is PJ Tucker really going to defend Anthony Davis? Like I, I don't see that happening. So here's my here's my answer to that. Who on the Rockets can stop Giannis? The answer is no one. Giannis put up 36 points, 18 rebounds, and eight assists. They still won the game. Why? team defense I was concerned about their length as well okay I mean you have PJ Tucker playing your five that's you know I I agree with you uh, Andrew he's not going to defend Anthony Davis but if you're like you know the threes thing you don't need to be rebounding to win games if you're nailing three after three after three after three after three the Bucks are one of the best defensive teams in the league the one of the longest teams in the league with Giannis and the Lopez, the Lopez brothers, and yet they still, you know, turnover after turnover after turnover. They had 22 turnovers the other night. 
So I think the, the Rockets, yes, they're small, but they're quick. They get in the way of passes. They get their hands on the basketball. They're, they're pests out there. And that's why I think they're, they're going to be a problem. You know, it's, it's not exactly a, a man-on-man thing. It's more of a, a zone, you know, zone read, free safety style defense where everyone's just flying all over the place, jumping in front of passes and stealing the ball. And even in that list, Andrew, um, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Jokic, Porzingis, and Zion, four out of the five there are pretty much perimeter-oriented bigs. Gobert is the only one that makes his money on the low post. Davis starts in the mid post, but really like lingers around the three point line and things like that. So another question is who's guarding them? Who's going to be able to keep up with, you know, the Westbrooks, the Hardens, the isolation ball, the, and at times the ball movement, who's going to be able to run up and down the court as quickly as they are. Are they going to be able to marginalize those bigs up and down the court? Uh, It remains to be seen. And this is a surprising take for me because usually I'm bashing, bashing, bashing those two. And yet that style, I don't think it's sustainable. But honestly, they're rested up, and honest, it, it, it could work for them. What's their ceiling? West Finals. I'm going to stick with my original take and say championship. They're going to, you really think the Rockets are going to get past the Lakers? No. At their, at their ceiling, though. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm saying. Right, at their ceiling. Because uh, we, we've seen this so we many times know, from this we team. We don't know. Yeah, but, but this, you got to remember, we've seen this so many times from, the, from this team in a regular season. This is, this is not a regular season by any stretch of the imagination. This is a very unique situation. Four months of rest. They seem rested. Now they got another month or two of playing. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. I honestly think if, if they're rested and they're ready to go, then they have no excuse, which is why I had them as the, they have the most pressure because they shouldn't have an excuse this time. The the player of the month example that Jason brought up is a great example. They're always effective at the beginning of the season when they have their energy. At the end of the season, when the games actually matter, they tend to fizzle out. And right now, they don't have a chance to do that because they're rested. And I think the team right now is is playing at a very high pace. They're playing at a very fast, loose pace. And I think you can maintain this for the foreseeable future. And, and this isn't an 82 grind, you know, have to fight for playoff position. This is an eight-game grind. Can they make it through eight games? Absolutely. Can they make it through two potentially seven-game series? That's 14 games. Make that 22 on top of it all. Yeah, I think they can. I think they can sustain it for that long if those series do go to seven. It potentially could be less. But you have to make it through 22 games to make it to a potential Western Conference final. Exactly. It's looking pretty good, especially when Westbrook and Harden are best at the beginning of seasons. This is a whole new season for them. So I think it is sustainable for them. This is, this is a, like, they're still a dark horse for me. Don't mistake that. They're still a dark horse. I don't think, like, the Lakers are a better team. The Clippers are a better team. The Bucks are a better team. But, like, they just beat one of the best teams in the league. And yeah. when, when, they, when they have a statement win like that, that's, that's huge. And, the Bucks should have should have won that game far and away, and they didn't. And I think, I know it's only one game, but like in the Mavs game, now I know the Mavs aren't really a, a contender in the West, but like that was a shootout. It came down to it, and what happened? The Rockets came through. It's, I think this team right now is more motivated than ever to prove the doubters wrong. Who are they the biggest threat to in the West? Like, what team do they match up best with? Do you think? Ooh, 
like best with in terms of like oh they could shock this team yeah the, the, the top team so let's go from if you're looking at the standings lakers clippers nuggets rockets jazz thunder of those other five teams who they like those are the, the five teams i would say have a legitimate shot of winning a title this year in the west or have some sort of shot who do you think they match up best with um i think surprisingly this is going to sound crazy but i'm going to say the nuggets why they have nikola jokic they have uh, Manute Bull's son there. Bull Bull, thank you. Yeah, I don't know why I forgot his name for a second. They have Bull Bull. Uh, their starting five is all over 6'7", I think, which is absurd. Now, let's see how they do against the Rockets starting five, who they love to play small. But can the Nuggets defend the perimeter? That's going to be the ultimate thing. Now, I know that Jokic is versatile. So is Bull Bull. But... Are they going to be able to defend 63s in the game? Are they going to be able to figure it out against the Rockets' defense of team defense? Okay, like it's it's going to be very tough if it's if it's a man-on-man defense and the Nuggets are just taking it down low in the paint. Then I think they have a shot, but the, the Bucks tried to do that and it it was unsuccessful in the most part. And I don't think the Nuggets are as good as the Bucks, so I think that's going to be the one that people are going to look at. And I think the Rockets are going to come out on top if that's the case. Yeah, um, I see your point in Denver, but I'm going to go Utah. I think, you know, Houston could really make some noise against Utah. I saw a couple of their games. I, I haven't been very impressed with Utah. They're really thin. They, they miss Bogdanovich. They really do. And I think they, you're often flat on, def- on offense, rather. They've kind of forced it through Donovan Mitchell a little bit too much, in my opinion. They need a second score. That's where Bogdanovich really came in in the offseason, made his noise. Um, but is Gobert going to be a perimeter-oriented defender? I, I don't see it. Is Gobert going to be athletic enough to like run up and down the court seven seconds or less offense? <sighs> I don't know. Um, there's just a lot of questions marks in that series, but ultimately I think, I think Houston can light it up enough in a game to get past a team like Utah. And with that being said, that's about all the time we have for this episode of The Final Call. Uh, Make sure, uh, if you're listening to this on our podcast page, you can also find this uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to check us out on Instagram, at FinalCallMCC, and as well on Twitter. And if you're interested in doing some reading, uh, go check out New England Sports United and thescoreboardtimes.com. So, for Ben Mamoritas, for Jason Snow, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been The Final Call on Radio Massasoit. Confusion